This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, a cult favorite, or an otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide if it was better late, that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave. And I'm your host. And this week, I am joined by returning guest Faith. Hi, Faith. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. Welcome back. It's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. How have you been? Uh, I'm great. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so this week, we're watching a movie that you've never seen before, and that is Office Space from 1999. Before we get started, I just want to toss out that the contact info for this podcast, if you'd like to get in touch with us is betterlatethanneverpod at gmail.com, and on Twitter, we're at betterlate underscore pod. So with that out of the way, Faith, you requested this movie, Office Space, a delightful comedy that I am a very big fan of, but you have never seen. Uh, Why did you want to do this film? Yeah, well, thanks, Dave. Uh, You did give me some options about, you know, putting my own spin on what I wanted to watch. And I, you know, at the time you hadn't done a lot of comedies on the pod. So I thought it would be interesting to do one. Mm. And there's a couple reasons. One is like this podcast is about like a blockbuster or a movie that you haven't seen for various reasons. And sometimes you're just like, oh, it just passed me by. And sometimes you're a little bit like embarrassed that you haven't seen it. Mm. So I feel like Office Space came out at a time when I would have seen it. And a lot of my peers had seen it and discussed it, quoted it, and were like, yeah, that great movie, Office Space. And I was like, yeah, I love that one. You know, I feel like it's actually one that I pretended to have seen. So you were embarrassed that you hadn't seen this. I think I was. And I don't know why I just didn't get around to it. But I think at some point it was like everybody had seen it and I hadn't. But everyone talked about it. And I was like, oh, this must be a great movie. Why didn't you see it? Because this, I will say, this was on TV a lot. Do you just not, did you not watch TV I a lot? I didn't have or? cable. Um, um, that might be it. Yep, um, yep. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't get around to it and always thought that it was a movie that I would probably like. Did you, do you, but you pretended like you'd seen it? I though? think I oh, did. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, that great quote from the movie Office Space that we all know. Do you have any, uh, any of those no that... i can't remember a single one oh, okay but i remember people did used to quote it a lot and i mean another thing is like i feel that this movie was really big at the time but i think in recent year i mean it's 20 years old right so yeah i think it's kind of fallen off the map a little bit in terms of either in the 
public it was definitely in the cultural consciousness when i was in middle school high school but nowadays not so much and you know one of the things i wonder is um is it dated or are there other um office related cultural properties that have surpassed it i can think of maybe one yeah perhaps the tv show the office mm. so i'm i'm kind of wondering like is this movie still good is it still re- should people be watching it as a classic comedy are you a fan of the office um i have not seen the american <laughs> office but of course i'm one of those people who has seen the british office and of course how could the american office live up to that piece of cultural genius yeah i was kind of out of the country for the years in which the american office was airing okay. and so i i think i just missed it for that reason but i mean i think it's another interesting point like what is comedy taking place in an office there's like in theory a lot of um possibility for comedy but you're in a inherently like boring space so you have to play off that now here's a question have you ever worked in an office I currently work in an office, and mm. I have worked in many an office in my time. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Do you also work in an office, Dave? I do. Yeah. Do you find the uh, possibility for hijinks and hilarity abound? Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's... Shout out what, to all of Dave's co-workers who listen to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I guess they do, but it takes someone like the people who make office space to like find the um the universal things, you know, because there's the specific things at your office that right. you notice and then there's the universal things that everybody's going to get. And I'm and I'm guessing one of my predictions would be there's a bit of both in this movie because I think people like office comedies because there so many people do work in office so they recognize those universal things. That's why uh, despite being quite unfunny the comic strip Dilbert has like lasted so long. Yeah. People uh, are like, huh, that office. Ooh, that terrible boss. Gross coffee, am I right? Oh, those coworkers. Oh, <laughs> so quirky. The traffic and the mundanity of the grind. Yes, siree. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel like lucky that I work in an office now where it, there, it's pretty loose. I mean, I work in an open plan kind of office. Oh, no. Yeah, so that is has a lot of negatives, but if you have good coworkers, I feel like that can help the day pass because we're we're always kind of joking around, and you kind of have to do that um, if you're in that situation. If if your coworkers are not great, then that's a very unpleasant situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, I know that's the idea behind the open plan office, and I guess if you're like in Silicon Valley and the idea is to break down barriers and generate ideas, great. But like to me, that sounds like a torture chamber. I mean, I get a lot less work done, definitely. Based on the actual plan of my space. Yeah. I just. The I, space of my office, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have this great idea for a movie. It's called Space of an Office. <laughs> my gosh, we should write that. Yeah. Um, there's one other reason I wanted to do this movie, and it's kind of about not just comedy, like talking about comedy on this podcast, but I'm kind of interested in 90s comedies in general. We have been kind of on a 90s comedy kick here lately. We just did American Pie. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think comedies nowadays are, they don't often do a, like, big 
budget at the at the box office. They don't always make like a lot of money. I feel like the the nineties were a time like leftover from the eighties when comedies were like big business. There were mm. so many and they did so well. Like there there are kind of like two kind of comedies, right? You have your people like Adam Sandler. Like Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, your big sort of blockbuster comedy. Those are like the broad ones, the gross out ones. Right. And then you kind of have your indie comedies, the the Coen brothers, Big Lebowski, always like a favorite of mine. Oh, sure. Um, Clueless, I think one maybe my favorite comedy of the 90s. That's a, a fantastic film. Yeah. I mean, you can put like Kevin Smith in there at this time. Mm. And then, so those were like the two kind of competing types of comedy were that were there in the in the 90s but then this you said this movie's from 99 yeah so that's sort of like the end of the 90s where like there's sort of like it's becoming like a little darker i'm i'm anticipating this movie is a little dark based on who i think made it like at the end of the 90s you had like um more like ensemble quirky type of comedy coming in you have wes anderson starting yeah you had like election that oh, was yeah, a movie yeah. then so i just think this is Sort of taking some of those, there, there there was a lot of like bro comedies at that time too, <laughs> right? Like American Pie is kind of part of that. It's a teen comedy, but it's like making way from moving from Adam Sandler to Will Ferrell. There's a broiness to American Pie, yeah, right. And like pre Judd Apatow, with yeah, stuff getting into the two thousand Judd Apatow, but you can kind of see a line towards Judd Apatow from the way the guys are in American Pie, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like this movie, without having seen it, but based on kind of being around when everyone, all, even like jocks and people were quoting it, it has a little bit of broiness to it in some ways, but it is also a little bit quirky, so it's kind of bridging that line. Hmm. A little broiness to it. Or I don't know, it, it was able to somehow like become more mainstream and appeal to a wider audience hmm. based on the, the people, everyone at our high school or middle school talking about it. Okay, okay. Well, I wanted to ask you, you said you think you might know who made it. Who do you think made it? I think it was made by Mike Judge. Okay. Do you know him from anything else? Yeah, I mean, he did King of the Hill back in the day. Um uh, other TV shows like Enlightened um, and Silicon Valley. Um, and what was the movie? Uh, Idiocracy he's yeah. done. I just, uh, I, I I was uh, going for King of the Hill specifically just because uh, I will die on the hill that, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> I will die on the King of the Hill that uh, that was maybe the greatest, not just animated thing, but... Uh, like family sitcom of that era more like, than the simpsons for consistency yeah oh interesting. yeah cuz the simpsons has gone on at this point for so long right. that um there you know the simpsons got bad in a way that i don't think king of the hill ever did right was it like five or six seasons or something a king of the hill lasted for a while i think yeah. they did like a dozen seasons or something like that i mean i haven't seen all of it but it was i always enjoyed it and i and i don't really like stuff like Family Guy or other com comedies, like animated comedies of that time. Yeah. Basically, I just wanted to get on my King of the Hill soapbox. Oh, I'm totally down. I mean, I like Mike Judge. I mean, I think he is, uh, tends toward that's more cringy comedy, which I can sometimes watch and sometimes not. Like, I mean, like Enlightened um, is 
an amazing TV show, but man, is it hard to watch sometimes. Did he do Enlightened? I think so. Hmm. I think he did. Oh, we can check that out. Yeah. But anyway, um, do you have any idea who's in this? So I'm, I think at one time I definitely knew who the main actor was, but I have since forgotten because again, this movie's like heyday was 20 years ago. So yeah. I don't remember who the main guy is. I know there is a main dude. Um, and I think, I think that Jennifer Aniston is in this movie as the girl. Okay. I already asked you if there are any quotes that you know, but you don't think you No, I've forgotten quotes. all the quotes, but there were a lot at the time. Whether or not they've actually held up as good quotes remains to be seen. Any shots or scenes that you might have seen parodied or people acting out or that you might have seen before? Not really. I mean, I kind of like saw the poster when I was like said oh, I was yeah. going to do this and it's got like post-it notes on it. So I have a feeling maybe there's some post-it notes involved at some point. <laughs> Office supplies. Yeah, yeah. Office supplies is a uh, good, yeah. good guess, I would assume. I mean, in theory, you're talking about like making an office comedy. You could be like, okay, there's a guy and he's like going nowhere in life. He's like thwarted his creative ambitions of what he wants to do. And so he ends up working in an office and he's like, I want to quit, but oh, there's this hot girl, Jennifer Aniston. And then um, he's like, okay, I'll stay. Then maybe, I don't know, like something happens to put the office in peril and they have to save the office and capitalism. And then he does it with the help of the quirky coworkers who he originally thought were all losers. And then he realized that the real office space was the friends he made along (laughs) the way. Like that could be one way it goes, but given that I think that this is a Mike Judge movie, I think it's going to maybe deviate from your standard, like, quest. And I think it's going to be darker. I think maybe they're overcoming something and they come together, but it's not going to end with that, like, tied bow. Hmm. I mean, I do predict that he's going to somehow end up at the office that he works at. Some, like, kind of, like, faceless corporation, terrible boss, and he hates it. And he does make some sort of peace with that at the end and decides to continue being a force in the office. But I think it may be, yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit more weird. Okay. Yeah, because the, you know, the plot you described, you know, I I could definitely see that. Do you have any other elements of the plot that you think you might see being possible i can see an office going from like mundanity to chaos as a result of external forces plus this guy this main white dude i assume is who's going to be our central protagonist i think that's a safe bet yeah i'm sorry safe predictions here white guy does some uh hijinks white guy (laughs) yeah especially for the late 90s yeah right and i predict he and jennifer aniston get together at the end definitely possible or maybe he gets with one of uh, one of his co-workers. Maybe it's... Uh... Well, I'm predicting that she also works there as like a secretary or so- some other female. Oh, I-, I meant one of his role. bros. Maybe oh, yeah. it's really, really mm-hmm. uh, progressive for 1999. Sure. Sure. Could, yeah. It's anything's possible. Yeah. It's Mike Judge. He's a progressive guy. True. Um, okay. Okay. Do you have anything you hope to see happen? Um, I hope that the jokes have aged well and that there aren't too many um, politically um, problematic jokes or, you know, politically incorrect, like offensive to groups that we now Mm. recognize it's 
not necessary to pick on. Sure. I hope it doesn't punch down. I mean, I think in general, um, Mike Judge is pretty good about that, but you don't, you never know about the late nineties stuff was like, Oh, I know done then that you realize now and that creators realize now that they were wrong to have those kind of jokes. <laughs> Like I said, we just did American Pie, and uh, there are things in that sh- that movie that did not age well. Yeah, completely. And so I'm hoping that I'm not. I I don't believe it's going to be completely free of that. Like you know, fat jokes are completely fine in that time, and even now it happens. But like you know, I hope that they don't punch down too much, especially with like all the weird, quirky coworkers. Mm, yeah, because that's definitely something you could see happening with the weird co-workers especially all right cool well is there anything else you want to get at anything you want to bring up before we watch office space um yeah i hope like the the music is fun you know kind of like picturing sort of like philip glass but kind of like more quirky Mm, philip glass but more quirky that's a very specific prediction <laughs> philip well, glass well, because he does like movie soundtracks of that time that are like you know really specific to the movie and kind yeah. of have their own spirit so it's gonna be kind of like a funky kayonakatsi or something like yeah 100 percent. we're just gonna like have a pot brownie and veg out to well i guess a pot brownie in office space isn't that weird a thing to no. do but <laughs> i think that's how it was originally designed to be watched but like yeah no i know but like a different version of yeah. the of the viewing experience right um <laughs> okay uh cool well all right any anything more anything anything else that's incredibly specific for, <laughs> no i mean i just like to say i'm glad i'm watching an office today instead of being in my office so. hey aren't we all jesus yeah. christ might even just stress me out seeing jokes about it um cool well in that case i'm really looking forward to this i don't want to spoil anything, but I do really like this film. So uh, I hope you do too. Sweet. All right, let's watch this thing. This is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. Oh, Office Space. I love that movie so, so much. Are we are we rolling again? We are rolling again. We're oh, back. Yes. Yes, it was a movie. We saw it. We yeah. just finished watching it. Yes, indeed. Uh so what did you think? Did you like it? Uh I did enjoy it. Um I think you heard me laugh right from almost the beginning. That scene when they're in the traffic. Yeah. And so I did appreciate like I wrote down very funny, not cringy. That's good. So, like, uh, in contrast to a few other Mike Judge projects, I wouldn't say all, but, like, the the comedy was consistently just, like, enjoyable. You know, one might even say a delight. Oh, good. Yeah, so uh, I appreciated that. Even though I can occasionally get down with cringy humor, this was more just, like, straight up jokes Regular or funny humor. funny situations. Yeah. But not as broad as, you know, I was talking before about the difference between, like, really broad comedies of the 90s, like Adam Sandler, versus your, like, more quirky um you know kevin smith or cohen brothers and i think this is more on like the quirky end i would agree with that yeah yeah yeah. and um you know i'm i'm like you i i really don't go for the cringe humor very Mm -hmm. much so you know i'm kind of glad this trends in the other direction more accessible at least for me yeah um it also i would say uh in to the movie's credit is uh not uh punching down it's you know, not the kind of humor where they're really making... I, I think it ages well 
mostly. Yeah. I don't think there are a lot of jokes that uh, age poorly. In I that agree. Way. There weren't that many. I, I was like, you know, keep an eye out for them. I think Mike Judge does a good job in general. Like he like does a couple fake outs. Like the really, you're like when the black guy knocks at the door and you're like, oh no, like what are they going to say? And then he like turns out to be a software engineer. Right. When he's like playing that he's like from like the street or whatever. Yeah. Um. There were like a few jokes about like prison rape that like maybe wouldn't make it in now, but that's kind of ubiquitous throughout yeah, I, I even movie feel history. like those are ordinary enough they would probably still be around now they, they yeah, were they might pretty run of the mill as far as those jokes go and i mean you know i'm not gonna say that it's like a diverse cast but one of the main act uh, one of the main characters is samir it's true i mean like they don't i mean they talk about him being an immigrant but they you know, it, this is very much a pre nine eleven movie because oh, they yeah. they don't address anything about the fact that he's like, you know, that there is a thing about him being Muslim, which is refreshing. That it's never commented ha- upon. We didn't have to worry about that as much. You know, yeah, he would have a much more difficult time dealing with the realities of committing a crime Indeed. after two thousand and one. These yeah. two white guys are like, don't even worry about it. This is America. <laughs> You would go away for like two years at a minimum security prison. No worries. Nothing whatsoever. with your visa. No problems. Yeah, nothing about Guantanamo Bay or anything like that. Yeah, he post nine eleven, he would have had a worse go of it, definitely. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was an interesting range of jokes. Like there were some that were funny to like people who have ever worked in an office, people who might have appreciated the comic strip Dilbert or the show The Office. Like the um, right at the beginning when. Um, uh, Peter Ron Livingston's character touches the the doorknob and gets the electric shock. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times a day do you shock yourself in your office? You know, uh, it's not as bad at my current office, but yeah. at my last job, it was every single time I hung my coat up in the morning at the at the coat hook. Yeah. the coat hook would shock me. I shock myself about five times a day. So those type of things I did appreciate, but there's also just like regular humor in the film that was amazing. Like the um, the next door neighbor character, I liked. Lawrence. Oh, yeah, he I love so him great. so much. He's yeah. such a lovable character. Um, well, that's cool. I also, uh, you know, in the first part, I was talking about how. Um, I wasn't sure how much I could mine my own job because of how specific the, you know, the things that I notice about my job would be versus what would be universal. But then watching Office Space again, I realized that it's almost like it's what's funny about this movie is that he they are specific things that they're pointing to. But it's in that specificity, even though it's very specific things that he's dealing with, it's almost in that that you just recognize it as universal anyway, because it's not about the specific thing that he's dealing with. It's just the universal aspect of which everybody deals with the tiny annoyances of office life that grate on you. Right, exactly. Like there's the I asked at one point, oh, is there gonna be like that um remember that um Microsoft Word feature Clippy that right. was existing at that? I was like, oh, is Clippy gonna show up? And he didn't, but there were other things about computers that were like of that time that are still even still relevant now. Like he's trying to leave early, but then he has to shut down his computer and all the software updates and like sending the files is taking like yeah. five minutes. Or just like like the the woman down the hall from him has an annoying voice and it's just like grating on him and over time it just like you know it adds up right you know it's like it's the drip 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 of it right or the fact that i mean this is like a feature throughout the film the 
people asking you to do really, really annoying things like your bosses, but like saying it, if you wouldn't mind, like, like, it would be great if you could do that, you know, like keeping that positivity always, but just oh, yeah. being the worst. I know. And actually, I did have a slightly different reaction to um, the boss characters writing him about the TPS reports this time than I did in previous watches. And we will talk, we'll come back to the TPS reports when sure. we do recap, don't worry. We better. But, uh, uh, but watching it this time, it's just that the thing is, my job now is, uh, one of the elements of my job now is uh, I work in compliance, which means that part of my job is I am now that guy. It's really important that the cover sheets be consistent. Dave. Well, I don't do that exactly, but part of my job is to tell people to do all of these little things. And, and like basically it's my job to be that annoying guy and remind people to follow procedure. And, you know, basically what I'm saying is it's no more fun to be that guy than it is to be the one hearing it. Yeah. You know, like you for I think most of us in that position recognize like what we're doing is not what people want to hear so it's like not more fun to be that guy so i just like from the other end mm. of it i'm just like oh like but in reality like that is important <laughs> yeah basically like and like bill lundberg in reality doesn't want to have to go say this he doesn't want to have to go do that but that is his job well that's i mean that's in like a, a couple interesting points like a, how do we react to this movie like now versus if you'd seen it when you were 14? You're seeing it yeah. from a different perspective. And and another thing is I was thinking about like as during our conversation just now, like do you think that you could appreciate the humor of this movie more deeply if you work in an office? I feel like a I lot think of- so. Yeah, because I think that is true. It, it, that's why office comedies are so successful, especially like in TV because- the people who do work in offices are like, yeah, yeah, that's so true. Also, I will at least say the things I'm requiring compliance for are more important than just a cover letter on a TPS report. And B, I try to at least explain why something is important as opposed to just being like, yeah, you could just do that. Okay. Yeah. Bill Lumberg doesn't do a good job. He's <laughs> Dave, bad at his job. I'm sure you're an amazing office worker and you make the space around you. Oh my God, thank so you so compliant. much. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's get into talking about this movie a little bit more specifically. So, Office Space. This came out in 1999, which we were commenting, good year for movies. Very good year for movies. And I also wrote down, because we were listing some of the movies that had come out that year, um, a very strong year for commenting on the mundanity of office culture, because we mentioned both Fight Club and The Matrix. Right. Which are real. I think it was kind of about the tipping point of people being like, so many of us work in offices, and oh man, isn't it terrible? Yeah, the soul-crushing nature of it. Yeah. And The Matrix even has a very similar um, escaping from a cubicle maze scene. Yeah. Um, and I know people don't really like it anymore, but American Beauty also had a little bit of that. Sure. Oh, and also American Pie came out in 99. Great film. Uh, but anyway, so it's written and directed by Mike Judge, who is responsible for, as we mentioned, uh, King of the Hill, uh, the movie Idiocracy, which is also great see that if you haven't uh he uh beat us in butthead oh of course yeah yeah yeah. and plenty of other stuff i'm a big fan of his work love that guy he was also i don't know if you noticed he is the manager at tchotchkes 
I did wonder if that was him because I think I knew that he, I think I've heard like an interview with him where I heard that he does do cameos. Yeah. And I thought that that was a great little bit. Mm. Lots of great little like cameos in this film. Not necessarily people you recognize, but you're just like, oh, that's someone doing a great job. Yeah. 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 And so the cast of this movie. So we've got our star. Uh, you were correct. It was a, a white guy. Um, Nailed Ron, it. Ron Livingston played Peter. Um, Jennifer Aniston was in it. She played Joanna. Uh, Stephen Root. Oh, he was so good. Played Milton. And this was a real uh, popular role for him. Uh, apparently, since this movie came out, in a lot of times when he comes onto set, people will greet him with boxes of those red swing line staplers. Oh, bless. Yeah. Um, also worth noting that this movie was actually based off of a series of shorts that Mike Judge had done uh, that aired on SNL, actually, called Milton. Oh. That were based around... Were they, like, animated? I didn't look that up. I don't know if they were animated okay, or Okay, because he did do action. his own animation, like, sometimes, I think. Oh, maybe they were That's then. how he started out, yeah. Yeah, but, um, so that was sort of, like, the basis of, or the genesis of this idea, anyway. Uh, Gary Cole, who is an amazing... Uh, character actor character actor Gary Cole was Indeed. Bill Lundberg yeah I mean he was pretty loathsome but he did a great job oh god he's so great in this though yeah just I, like we, we were saying about his like clothes he looked like an American psycho like boss with 1980s, his, his cuffs like, and his like suspenders yeah exactly yeah he was almost like kind of out of place yeah I mean even though this movie came out in 99 it seemed like it might have been set like a few years earlier because they're still using like floppy disks and they got like some of the 80s like the fashion and stuff like that so it's kind of a little bit difficult to tell when it's set well also though an office like that can maybe lag a little bit because it's like you get all the new like all the new equipment comes in and then it just will like stay at that level until the time comes when the office will do like a giant flip. It's true. And it's know? like not clear where it's said. It's like any town USA. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Um, but just like that whole like, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to need you to go ahead and do this thing for me. Yeah. Like that whole, the, ugh, so great. David Herman played Michael Bolton. Yeah, he was he was good. Yeah, he was good. I nerd. think his first scene was the best when he was seeing the rap in the car. Uh Ajay Naidu played Samir Nagina Najar. Yeah, he did a great job, but I've never seen him since then that I know of. I haven't seen him in anything else either, which yeah. I think is too bad because he's really funny in this. Yeah, he is. Dietrich Bader or Bader, I forget. He played Lawrence. Yeah, he was fantastic. I love him. Uh he was in the Drew Carey show. Mm -hmm. You're asking what else mm -hmm. he's been in. And then uh, just a couple other people who were in smaller parts, but I love. Uh, John C. McGinley is uh, one of the Bobs. Yeah, from Scrubs. Yeah. Classic. God, I love him so much. Yeah. He's so great. Orlando Jones was the uh, magazine salesman mm -hmm. who, who comes to the door. What else has he been in? Um, well, most recently he was on that show American Gods. Oh, Did you okay. watch that? I think I saw like a couple episodes. Yeah, he played uh, Mr. Nancy mm -hmm. uh, or Anansi. Mm-hmm. Um, I like mentioning this guy. Richard Reel played Tom, the guy who gets hit by the car. Yeah, I mean, he was great. I Again, it's like just interchangeable white guys who are in funny movies from the 90s. Sure. Well, he just kind of like keeps showing up and stuff in like these roles, but he has such a recognizable face. He also is in another one of my all-time favorite movies, which is The Fugitive. Okay. He's, um, did you ever see The Fugitive? Uh, possibly. I, I can't remember. Oh my remember. God, that movie is so good. 
Anyway. I mean, we need to celebrate character actors more because there's just like not enough attention paid to them. Indeed. Unless, of course, it's character actress Margot Martindale. She gets enough attention, I think. We should give her a little bit less attention. And yeah, I uh, honestly, I wish Margot Martindale would just get out of here. She should just quiet down. Go away, Margot Martindale. We've had enough of you. Nah, I'm just kidding. I fucking love that. Love that actress. Um, So let's talk about Office Space. The movie begins and we get right off the bat that Philip Glass score. Oh, man. I, he just really is making use of all genres in this work. Uh, uh, no, but I think you pointed out, actually, uh, the music is by John Frizzle. Uh, yes, uh, all those, except all those really cool uh, hip-hop songs. I actually do really like the music from this movie. No, it was great. It was, like, kind of unexpected, but that's when I said, like, something like um, Philip Glass. I recognized that was completely wrong, but what I meant was the spirit of that prediction was that Mike Judge, like, likes to mix it up with his yeah. stuff. Well, I think in this case, the, uh, the score, or the, at least the song choices were reflecting maybe Michael Bolton's music sensibility. Indeed. A bit. Yeah. The anti-Michael Bolton, if you will. Yeah. But hey, so, Michael Bolton getting a lot of hate in this movie. <laughs> I know, and he's so wonderful. But that was before he'd done any of those Lonely Island sketches, so we didn't know how wonderful and funny he was yet. He was still just that crooner. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, what do they call him? A no-talent ass clown? Uh, I have a little piece of IMDb trivia related to that. As of October 2018, Faith, the term ass clown was officially entered into Webster's Dictionary, crediting writer Mike Judge for first using it in office space. Um, I, maybe that's the first time I've ever heard ass clown. Is that a common uh, term that is entered into our I vernacular? think I've heard ass clown All right. before and in, uh, you know, popular lingo, at least since 1999. I yeah. mean, I think I can think of a lot of, like, worse phrases that ass clown could re- replace. So maybe we need more ass clown in 2020. I mean, no talent ass clown is a pretty good turn of phrase. All right, let's start using it it's in regards to our entire government. Ugh. Bunch of ass clowns, if you ask me. What a bunch of ass clowns. Um, but we've got everybody stuck in traffic, and who can't relate to that? Traffic, am I right? Yeah. Well, you've got uh, Peter doing that thing, which I'm sure all of us have done, which is the lane change. Yeah. And it just always goes in the lane that you're not in. I will be that guy and just point out that part of the reason why traffic moves slowly is because people are changing lanes like that. And it would actually move a lot faster if you just stayed in one lane. I mean, just another way that if people listen to you, the world would be a better place. I agree. I mean, it kind of sets the tone off to the movie, right? Which is that there are these universal things that we all have thought or said, but the movie just does it in a very, you know clever way the way it's shot and like the music and like the way it's showing the characters um it's already putting its tone um both in like quirky and universal yeah i uh what i wrote down was um so many brilliantly observed tiny irritations yeah exactly and yeah it just goes back to the thing where like it can be very specific and yet feel universal Mm -hmm. yeah um and so he gets to the office and this is where we get that thing uh tps reports and just Indeed. The, the endless harassment about forgetting a cover sheet on his goddamn TPS report. He hears about it five times, I think. Yeah. From different people. And it's just, oh, my God. Have you had to deal with shit like this? I mean, 
I think who hasn't, who's like worked in some kind of office-based job. I mean, I don't have a job uh, like working for a corporate entity. Uh, so not quite, but I think we all have to do reports and they always are boring. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean his job is actually sounds like the worst. This is a like, it both dates it, but it also like could be any other interchangeable, meaningless task. <laughs> he, it's very much a late nineties movie. His job is to, um, help the company switch over pre Y2K. So yep. he has to switch all the 98s to 2000s in the code. <laughs> yeah, it's data entry. Right. But I mean, you know, Jesus. if he didn't, so the world might end. I know. But so he gets annoyed and uh, he gets a case of the Mondays. Ugh, don't you hate when you get that? Oh my God. Uh, had you ever heard this term before? Uh, yes, indeed. I, had. I, I actually have never heard it outside the context of office space. I mean, I don't know if I've like had it said to me, but I know I I think it's common to be like Mondays. Am I right? But Mondays, like, am I right? Is right here. Yeah. Mondays, right? Yeah. Fucking Mondays. Yeah, I know. I just there's something about have sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays. Like, okay, to say Mondays, am I right? <laughs> there's okay fine but sounds like someone has a case of the mondays is just so it's like nails on chalkboard yeah they're it's like very irritating to him and it it may be the two actors who they have say it it's like their delivery and like the smarmy way they do it right well they they perfectly capture those co-workers that you have to deal with but you really just don't want to talk to ever right the the like the lady at, it's the lady at the office and that fucking waiter at Chachki's who Brian mm-hmm. at Chachki's who I just want to punch in the face so bad he's way too good at his job well but he's not even because not only is he annoying to Jennifer Aniston but it's like he's bad at his job because he can't read the room like you see they are at Chachki's and they are clearly they clearly have a case of the Mondays they're like down. And just want to have a cup of coffee. And he comes in all chipper and is like bugging them. Well, they're, I mean, based on what the Tchotchke's manager is saying, like they're not even the right customers for Tchotchke's. Those customers want to come in and have like a really positive experience. Well, That's their business model. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's, he's not actually playing like proper service industry. Uh, well, he's like trying to upsell them. And like I get like sort of where he's coming from, but it's like... You know, you have specific customers here with specific needs. Like, read the room. Like, it's, true. it's not busy. You don't have to turn this table over fast. I like, don't think he can turn that off, though. Uh, I know, and that's what makes him bad at his job. Goddamn, Brian. Anyway, so uh, he starts uh, talking a little bit with uh, his coworkers Samir and Michael about Jennifer Aniston, uh, Joanna who is the girl at Tchotchkes who he has a crush on. And he starts talking about how he kind of wants to ask her out, but he doesn't want to do that because that would just make him that asshole customer. Plus, he already has a girlfriend. Yeah, but she's cheating on him. Well, yes, we learn that he thinks she is, and then it turns out to be true. I kind of get that sense, too. Yeah. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Uh, But here's the thing is like, see, nowadays, I think that's this is one of those things about uh, the things that have aged uh maybe not poorly but it, it actually i don't think has aged poorly because that's sort of what he's thinking about and maybe what he should be thinking about mm-hmm. you know 
Because it's sort of like, that would be what I'm thinking, too. It's sort of like, that would, in fact, make you that asshole customer. Mm-hmm. And that I, I wouldn't hit on a waitress or ask a waitress out. Right. You know? Um, but at the same time, you know, that kind of, like, prevents you from acting on, you know, like, clearly they had a good relationship that would never have happened if he hadn't, hadn't done that. You know yeah, I, mean? I don't know. I feel like this movie, in terms of, like are what we would say modern progressive standards. And I'm not saying we should judge late 90s movies by our current day standards. It kind of goes like halfway. Like it it kind of brings up ideas and then like just doesn't go anywhere with them beyond just kind of like mentioning it. Like, oh, I would be an asshole. But then it all works out. And then like Jennifer Aniston's character is pretty underwritten in general. Oh, sure. But there's a point in time where she comes almost up to the point of being like, are you slut shaming me right now? But she doesn't quite say that. But like it's implied. So it's almost like 1999 wokeness. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just, I think you can tell um, the film when it was made. It like really is a film of its time. And I think also maybe just the way he ultimately goes about it is as good as it could be where it's just like hey i'm gonna get lunch next door and if you'd like to join me that's great and if not that's great and that is it right like he's not a creep he's exactly. just not particularly a great guy <laughs> well yeah but that's related to theft which we'll, indeed we'll get to, to he's actually a bad person <laughs> uh so anyway uh so they also get into this conversation about what would you do faith if you had a million dollars <laughs> yeah we both kind of started laughing at that point i know an insane amount of money and you never had to work again a day in your life oh with this million God. dollars but all right so leave the actual quantity aside but right if you had enough money that you never had to work again what would you do are you asking me personally yeah i'm actually asking i would quit my office job sure <laughs> um i would probably travel quite a bit mm-hmm. i would probably i i don't like not working at all because like without having any structure or like interacting with people like that makes me depressed uh-huh. so i would probably try to do some sort of work uh with people um make like some organization that the work i enjoyed but um i don't know i would pursue my own creative pursuits like where do you think this pod could go dave if you had a million dollars oh my god well, I'd invest in some new equipment and that's fair. You know, try and fly in some high-profile guests, and you know, because my current guests are terrible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you for starters, guys. This is a pretty snazzy setup. I just want to like lift the curtain a little bit. Oh my god, thank you so much. Um, I would do two chicks at the same time. Obviously, same. But to tell you the truth, uh, Peter's answer is kind of appealing to me. Like I would find doing nothing pretty great like i i know that's sort of what makes peter like an empty vacuous person and what makes him a bad person is that he is one of these people who like kind of lacks ambition and personality but i do find that answer kind of appealing it's just sort of like i do like the concept of like if i didn't have to do anything i would just want to hang out and be lazy yeah but what you said is also true, which is just like, after a while, if I don't have structure, I kind of fall to pieces. Right. 
So I would definitely do nothing a lot more than I do now. Right. So, you know, that would be really nice for a while. But eventually, I think I would kind of have to go. I would have to get a job again because I'm one of those people who kind of needs structure imposed externally on me. So I don't know. I might even try and find another job. But yeah. Like, yeah, a job that where you didn't feel like you needed to depend on it to survive. Yeah. And I try to work less. Right. So. What would that be? I think some kind of animal rescue. Ooh, I love it. Yeah, I think I would try and open like a dog rescue or tr- try and work with some kind of existing uh, animal sanctuary. Yeah, like something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, like maybe some like, for for me, maybe, yeah, some dog business that people can also like a bar or something like people can come oh, like a dog out. version of a cat bar a, a dog bar is what yeah. i'm saying yeah 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 something like that yeah in some like cool little small town yeah in like near a metropolitan city but not like in the middle you know so something with animals oh, for as me as soon as we win that lottery dave i have scratch tickets right here dog bars open for you anytime nice nice well so anyway so we meet lawrence his next door neighbor who would do two chicks at the same time. Uh, good answer, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, he has a suggestion for Peter's dilemma. He, Peter's dilemma being that he thinks that his boss is going to ask him to work on Saturday. What? But Lawrence has a great idea. Leave work a little bit early on Friday, because odds are he'll be asked at the end of the day on Friday. Right. And then turn off your answering machine. What could go wrong? I know. I mean, you should do that sometime, Dave. Well, that's the thing, Faith, is that uh, here in the great year of 2020, that is no longer possible. I mean, I know it's like it it kind of shows what a lot of people know in the trends of work, which is that in some ways work is easier because there's more flexibility. There's like you can work remotely in your pajamas on occasion, depending on your job. But you're always on. Yeah, they can reach you. They can always reach you. Yeah, and the way work can kind of like invade your private time is kind of offensive to yeah. me a little bit. Um, you know, in France, they kind of don't let work do that. You know, they consider like if work reaches out to you like Bloody that. Bloody socialists. Pride. I know, but I think they're right about that. Like, you know, it counts as work if you're dealing with that on your private time, you know. Yeah, I mean, this movie is a commentary partly on something that, like, still exists today, which is capitalism and how it sucks. Fucking capitalism, am I right? Burn it down. That That is a good message that this movie brings to the forefront, I think, which is the answer is to burn it all down. down. This yeah. Fight Club, The Matrix. It's, burn it down. It's all, you know, we should start a movement. Oh, my God. <laughs> this podcast <laughs> ends with the two of us becoming raging communists. <laughs> We're just going to, like... We're like revolutionized all over Stalinists the shop. by the end. We have like people's heads on pikes. So he tries, but he fails. Bill Lundberg finds him on the way out and asks him to work on Saturday. And on Sunday. Oof. Oh my God. No weekend. That would be horrible. Do you think he gets overtime? Oh, he must, yeah. Okay. I mean, he'll get paid for it. Yeah. But, and, you know, I'm sure he can, like, come in in jeans and whatever. Right. And the office is usually chill on the weekends, but you're still at work. <laughs> he did say come in at nine. It's like, if I'm working on the weekend, dude, at least let me roll in a little late. Ugh. Yeah. The worst. God. But so, 
he goes to this work hypnotherapist. Yeah, the one time we see his girlfriend, and I didn't even realize kind of she was the girlfriend at first because it seemed like it was like a group meeting. Yeah, well, I think it is a group meeting, but, but she brought him there. to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so she has like half a scene. This movie, by the way, does not pass the Bechdel test by a mile. Ah, uh, yeah, you're no, right. I don't, women never talk to each other. In they this, never they? talk to each other. In yeah. fact, I think, you know, no woman has more than like four lines besides... Um, Joanna. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, but I, I do want to say that I could really use this hypnotherapist. For sure. Like, goddamn. I, I mean, he seems great until... He dies? He dies. Yeah. But um, what I do love is Peter's little spiel about how um, every day is worse than the day that came before. So every day you see me is the worst day of my life. I think that was my favorite line in the movie. There are a bunch of lines in this that are just brilliant. Yeah. I fucking love that. But so this hypnotherapist, though, before he tragically dies, uh, manages to hypnotize Peter into being super chill. And I I have to say, I wasn't actually expecting that kind of conceit of this movie. I thought it was going to be a little bit more realist. I mean, it's not a very fantastical conceit, but it is a little bit like, you know, kind of like a Groundhog Day. You know, well, this DV, this I think is a spot where it starts to deviate a little bit from your projected plot a little bit. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I actually most of my predictions were wrong, but yeah, kind of. Uh, but the, I, I think you're the the kind of general gestalt of what you're getting at. Yeah, was totally. right, but just the actual details of the plot. Yes, I did not different. predict um, a hypnotherapy plot. No, no. But here's here's what I wonder about this. So Peter suddenly becomes instead of all wound up and anxious and timid. He becomes super chill and relaxed and confident. And that winds up leading to a whole bunch of improvements in his life. Like suddenly, basically, he doesn't care about things anymore. So he is willing to ask Jennifer Aniston out. He's willing to skip work when he needs. And he's willing to just tell people what he thinks and stuff. But this leads to improvements in his life. And what I'm wondering is... Is that realistic? I mean, I didn't actually feel that they did this plot point that well because they kind of start okay, where it's like, yeah, just by being the opposite of what he was before, all the things start to go right with him. That's fine. Classic, like, movie twist. But then they kind of just leave off with it, and it seems like it it sort of fades a little bit over time, like the effects wear off. He starts to sort of become more like himself again. That's true. Well, he does say maybe it's it was just shock from seeing the guy die in front of him. Right, but they don't really follow through with the plot like the repercussions like any i feel like there should have been a moment where like somebody snaps their fingers and then he just like goes back and realizes he's gotten himself into this deep shit or Mm. something like that i think there was a little bit of lack of follow-through with that twist true it's possible i mean the direction they wind up going in is just kind of like wears off although he also winds up the consequences of what he's dealing with wind up getting like way higher than just trouble at work. Right. So that could maybe overcome what the hypnotherapist did. Right. I thought that just could have been addressed. That's all like, Oh my gosh, I'm no longer this new chill Peter. He kind of just becomes the old Peter, which is fine. But like there could have been a transition. That's all. Yeah. They give it a tossed up line. They might've given it a little bit more, but basically like there are things he gets away with in this movie where it's just like, 
you would never actually get away with that. Although, you know, maybe for a white guy, you know, the, basically he's a white man, so maybe it would work. It is also kind of a movie about privilege, you know, yeah. just like, not that the other, most of the other people like getting canned or like fired aren't white too, but like, he has so much confidence that when he goes in there, he talks to the the work consultants who are overseeing the firing, the laying off process. And he's just like, yeah, like I do what I want. And like, they're like, wow, like this guy is executive material, yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, the thing is, Faith, is that I don't know if you've noticed, but I am also a white man. So hold the phone. I know. Take it. Take a moment. Wow. Process. I would have never guessed because of your progressive views. And also you don't see color. No. So you might not have known. <laughs> I, I but, um, very you, you much color You don't see race, yeah, um, yeah, or gender or anything. But um, that does raise the question is, could it at least work for me? I mean, I think you should probably try it and see what happens. Yeah, let's just, let's see. I'll roll into work and flip flops and see how it goes. Um, well, anyway. It's just something I think about sometimes is like, you know, could actually behaving not exactly like he does, but just like trying to affect this like cool, confident, new Peter attitude in your own life actually pay the something akin to the dividends that it does for him. I mean, I think it's exaggerated, but I think what it's saying is like that part of this office culture depends on the lower workers being very subservient and like made to feel like nothing um because like all the bosses are jerks and all the um lower workers are terrified yeah and i guess a lot of it's, it basically he gets those consultants on his side right it's like stop being the, the message of the movie is kind of just like stop being afraid of your job because that type of living in fear is like not going to help you be happy or it's only going to make you unhappy. Yeah, but you got to live in the real world. <laughs> well, I yeah, it, I mean it's trying to explore that. Like yeah, yeah. well that's what people actually say that as well. Like Jennifer Aniston's character says that like no one likes their job, but you know, he's trying to explore different ways of like can he escape. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Only by breaking the law. Right. Another another option for you in oh, good you know, point. Good yeah. Point. We'll talk about that off mic. Um, so we see some of these, so they hire these consultants to, uh, identify the people they want to fire. And we see some of the consultant interviews. Uh, one of them is, uh, Tom who, you know, it's played for laughs, his consultant interview where it's like, what is it you do here? And he's like, basically he interfaces with the customers. So the engineers don't have to. And it's played for laughs that this is a pointless job, but actually... Very much not pointless. I 100% disagree. Yeah. yeah. Like, he is really important. Like, the engineers should be doing their job, which is engineering, and his job is to manage the customers. Right. He keeps being like, I have customer service. It's about, like, the value of soft skills and how those are undervalued at work. Yeah, he manages the business relationships. He's yeah. In, and he, like, would theoretically be in sales too and like going out and like acquiring new clients and well new we don't customers. know that that's what he does maybe literally all he does is just deliver yeah okay it's, it's not but. clear but I, it is a thing that like he's getting so frustrated and you are also kind of on his side because you're like yeah actually that's important yeah no, he's a business he's he's a business management professional like that's a real job this and is, an important this is some one. shop talk guys oh yeah sorry i didn't mean to get in the weeds there but i just i felt so bad for him i was just like this this is a real job like 
He, he is not something that you can just get rid of. Uh, anyway, so um, he goes, he gets a date with Jennifer Aniston because they both love, love Kung Fu. Clearly. Yeah. Do you think it's realistic that um, Jennifer Aniston, one of the most beautiful women in the world, would be single and available in this small town? Indeed. The casting of her is a little interesting because um, this is like... Friends is still on at this point, right? 99? Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, it's a little random. Um, it's She's not bad. It just, it seems a little random casting to me because, I mean, the well, guys- Well, she does have that kind of like girl next door look to her. I suppose. The most beautiful girl next door that you've ever <laughs> yeah, seen. Yeah, I know. And and she's funny, but like, again, her character's a little underwritten. All the, all the male characters, the character actors are like more- normal looking at least for hollywood average looking people sure and so she kind of stands out in the fact that she doesn't she kind of is more serving a role she is she's kind of a um like america's sweetheart pixie dream curl oh no i I, like the scene later when they're at the barbecue and like you don't see a lot of her but there are a few shots of her like in like this dress and she's like you know dressed up to go out and like she's like absolutely stunning yeah you know and she's next to peter who's just schlubbing it up right just like what is what yeah her part of the movie was a little weak not that she like shouldn't exist in the movie but yeah but the thing is they have something in common true and he's also super confident now and what is more attractive than confidence right their relationship progresses quite fast i know But it's all about confidence, as we see, too, when he goes in for his interview with the Bobs, who are mm-hmm. the two consultants. And he tells them that in a given week, he actually only does about 15 minutes of real actual work. Um, We're not going to say our own numbers on Mike, Dave. <laughs> right. Um, Slightly higher than 15 minutes. Slightly. But he does get to what I think is an important point with every single job that there is, which is that the key issue is that it's about motivation. Yeah. And how do you motivate people to do a good job? And, you know, I, I think... He's saying some business school, like, yeah, stuff. They they actually are maybe right to identify um, some qualities in him. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he does have a point. But uh, there's a few other things going on in the management scene, too. Number one, turns out Milton doesn't actually work there. Oh, poor Milton. Yeah. He was laid off five years ago. But he's still been getting a paycheck, so they just fixed the glitch. And they, But they never actually told him he was laid off, and they don't tell him now. Well, it'll just work itself out. He has a really rough journey for a lot of the movie. Yeah. you know. It'll, but the thing is, it'll just work itself out, but they keep giving him work. Yeah, well, it's partly that um, the uh, Bill Lumberg is an actual asshole. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like... They're all incredibly conflict-averse, but I like to that they're conflict-averse because they keep talking about how they want to avoid an incident, which yeah. is basically they're worried about people going postal. Right. And yet they're doing all of the things possible to cause a person to go postal. Indeed. Yeah. Which kind of is what happens kind of happens. with Milton in a way that doesn't wind up with anyone getting hurt in the movie, but yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, so they mentioned to Bill Lundberg that Peter belongs in upper management. Bill disagrees because Peter's been having problems with his TPS reports, which brings up one of my favorite moments of the entire movie, which was when the Bobs turn on him and start to say, 
let's actually have a conversation about what you do here, Bill. <laughs> but yet he doesn't get fired. But He doesn't, but I just like that he, you know, winds up with his ass on the line at least. Right, like they are kind of like calling the whole company out that yeah i mean i do at least like that he suddenly put at risk right you know because you know this you assume that this entire thing was his idea or you know his his or he feels safe in it like even if the company decided to do it he was like well i'm i'm fine right the wiping that smug sense of security and entitlement away felt good even if you know he does keep his job this is where we get uh, one of the awesome songs in this movie, Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangsta, mm-hmm. uh, and a montage of Peter being a fucking gangsta. Pretty pretty good montage. It is a good montage, but this is the part where uh, he's been getting away with stuff for a while, but this is where he starts to get away with things beyond where I think he could really do it. Like This is where he get, he like brings the fish into the office, right? Oh, that, that's right, yeah. And he knocks down the wall of his cubicle. Uh, actually, my coworker literally did that um, a few months ago. And got away with it? Operations was not happy. Yeah, I imagine But not. she still works there. Well, all right. Did, did the wall stay down? It's still down. They had a big debate about putting it back up. But, I mean, that's that's office culture. Maybe it was they didn't inform the right person to put it back up, so it's still down. Well, all right. I have egg on my face. It can be done. There you go. But was she a huge dick about it the way Peter was when Phil came by to talk about it? I mean... It was definitely a power move. That's all I'll say. And what's the thing about power moves? You gotta respect them. Yes, you do. Uh, Peter's doing great, though. Who's not doing great? Michael and Samir. True. They're gonna get fired. They are software engineers, and their jobs are just gonna get outsourced somewhere. Right. So (laughs) they're gonna get fired. Peter's getting a promotion. How would you react if you're Peter in this situation, by the way? Because, like, they're your friends... And they're getting shit canned, but you're getting rewarded. Like, how would you feel? Yeah, I mean, it would suck, but like, what can you do in I that know. situation? Kind of, it's how he first starts to react, where he's like, ugh, it does suck. Even though he's like new Magic Peter, he's not like um, actually a different person. He's just more confident. So he's like, well, sucks to be you. I know, there really isn't anything you can do about it. But yeah, I just, I think about it where I'm just like, man you would feel so terrible. Yeah, I mean, you are you feel guilty for like still working for such a terrible place that would do that kind of thing, but you're not about to sacrifice yourself. Unless, of course, you're at the point where you're ready to lead the revolution. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Well, so we kind of are there, which is that they come up with their plan, which is that uh, they're going to uh, start stealing from the company. Yeah. Uh, this is a technique called salami slicing, which uh, was also featured in Superman 3. Oh, really? I didn't know that. It's where in every transaction, digitally anyway, there's like, you know, tenths of a percent of a penny that they round off and you steal those tenths of a percent. Theoretically, that's too small an amount to notice the individual thefts. But over time, there's so many transactions, it adds up to a lot of money for you. Yeah. So that's their plan. They're going to like do it through like hacking some virus, put a floppy disk in a computer yeah, and that'll floppies. that'll do it. Yeah, I know. Um, so they put the virus in and then that's their last day at work. They head on home, but not before Peter steals something. Oh, yes, of course. Well, you know, everyone who's worked in an office knows those pesky fax machines, printers, you know, the whole combo package. 
Yeah. Have you had to deal with the, these fucking things? I mean, I think it's insane that given that we have like computers like on our watches now that like printers don't seem to have evolved since 1996. I mean, there are some fancy like machines that can like do anything. There's 3D printing now, but you still like can't work it. They're not user friendly. They still fucking jam. They break all the time. I literally had to call IT four times on Friday because my computer stopped printing to my closest printer. I had to walk. I've been having to walk like across the office to another printer. Oh, God. Was it PC load letter? Was that the problem? We couldn't even diagnose it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well... Anyway, this is maybe the most famous scene from the movie. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny. It's so good. They, it, I it's just, kind of shot like a music video. Oh yeah, it's it's I I adore. It. It's been parodied a bunch of times too. Oh, okay. I've seen it parodied on like Family Guy and a few other places. I just I, I love the music, the slow mo, the the abusicus, and what I love especially is there's a couple like kind of faux badass moments where they're like pushing each other back with the bat right and like like at the end michael is trying to go in like punching it with his fist and they grab him he like takes he's run. not worth it michael <laughs> he starts actually flipping out where they're like whoa 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 he's actually losing his mind <laughs> he's start he's like punching and like he's like he's like fists are getting like bloody maybe even a little bit the relationship um between the three co-workers was quite cute like yeah. when they had that scene and they were dancing like very badly all of them not samir he break dances no samir was obviously a good dancer but um peter was pretty terrible yeah he sucks but uh you know it's it was nice to see them all together yes they all go to tom's party because even though tom got laid off it worked out okay for him Oh, yeah, did it ever. Well, what happened? Well, so he uh, was going to kill himself. And then his wife walked into the garage when he was in the car about to end it all. And then he decided he wanted to live. But then as he backed out of the garage, he got hit by a drunk driver, broke every bone in his body. But he got a settlement. Seven figures. I mean, that's enough for like 10 years in those days. I know. It, it could be a million dollars, in fact. Oh, it's, oh, seven figures. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so it could work out great in the end. After all, look at me. Oh, man. That was that was a good quote. I always laugh so hard at that. There's also, um, and I don't know if you remember, this was something that was all over the place when this movie came out and was on TV, was that annoying co-worker who invites them to the barbecue, talks about gonna show her my o face i think like his quotes are kind of what i was remembering like the dumb jocks in school quoting like uh like all that kind of stuff i remember all of those lines that that terrible blonde co-worker had i like felt like i'd heard before yeah i just i always i always keep thinking that that's the guy from uh breaking bad oh really do you know the one i'm talking about no oh whatever Michael and Samir also grill the lawyer about how to behave in prison, just in case. They're starting to think maybe their whole stealing a little bit from the company might not have been such a good idea. Yeah, you know, just covering some bases. Uh, the lawyer's advice, kick someone's ass the first day or become someone's bitch. Just, just keep that in mind, Dave. Why are you asking, by the way? <laughs> but at this party, uh, Peter also finds out that Joanna fucked Lundberg. No. I know. He flips out. He totally does. And is a huge dick to her. Right. 
Yeah. And this is what you were talking about. Well, I mean, rightly so, she tells him to, you know, F off. She's like, who even cares? I never asked who you slept with. Like, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, I know. And I mean, I don't think he would care. It's just the fact that, I mean, it turns out it's a different person. To him, it's just the mere fact that it is this particular person. Right. He's not exactly slut-shaming her for, like, having slept with other people. Yeah. It's like that. But I think they kind of raise a good point that, like, he gets on her case and she tells and him. And it is She rightly, like, breaks yes. up with him. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it, uh, understandable. We do get to see that awesome dream, though, where we see Gary Cole... <laughs> Oh, my God. There are a few things about this dream sequence that I love. Number one is I love how he's just kind of like mildly thrusting while he's drinking his coffee and just going like, yeah. But the other thing I love is um, who was the actress they got just to be like the leg and the foot during that scene? she's like you're just gonna like lie there real quick while we shoot someone got cast for that i know because presumably jennifer aniston didn't have to do that (laughs) she would not yeah i i think that's probably uh not something they would have made her do (laughs) but it's just it's funny peter goes to check on the bank account and whoops turns out there's three hundred thousand dollars in there yikes yeah they're taking two we've all had those moments where we're like oh how did my bank account get so big Honestly, I mean, if you think about that, how that moment would go in real life where you've just engaged in this pretty serious theft scheme and you now know you're definitely going to get caught, I would literally shit my pants. I would get on the next plane to Vietnam, which does not have an extradition treaty with the United States, by the way. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Like I've. I'm not saying that I've looked at all the countries that don't have extradition treaties with us, but if I had, I think that Vietnam would be the most attractive That's place to go. That's your go-to? Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, it just has the most positives and the fewest negatives out of the countries that exist if I had, in fact, looked at that list. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I, I might maybe invest in having a go bag ready, you know, with the passport and some cash. Yeah. I mean, at least if I was going to embark on a plan like this. Yeah, not these are that I have. very hypothetical situations. Yes, indeed. Um, we get uh, a nice little interlude with the uh, office birthday where poor Milton doesn't get any cake. Oh, well, he just is like eating shit the whole movie. It's so sad. Not uh, eating cake. I know. The guys desperately try to figure out what to do and think about trying to launder the money. And that's when Orlando Jones showed up. That's right. You seem to enjoy this scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, I liked it when I realized that Mike Judge had flipped it, like, from being, like, maybe a slightly racially problematic scene to just commenting um, on our expectation of that. Yeah. Because he's, like, talking in a way, like, you could say, like, a street, like, stereotypical black guy way. And then his backstory. His backstory that he was addicted to crack, blah, blah, blah. Now he's selling magazines. But then it turns out he's an out-of-work software engineer from a company that's, like, very similar to theirs. And it's actually the company they wind up working for. Right, right. And he's actually making more money selling magazines than he ever did there. Well, I mean, yeah, I... Peter ends up with 40 subscriptions to Vibe because they try to get him in on the laundering scheme. And then he's like, he like legit, like fair enough, blackmails them. So yeah, well, here's my question, though. Why were they all the Vibe? I mean, at least get different magazines. <laughs> like he, if you got to panic, get 40 subscriptions, <laughs> like get a National Geographic. Like, come on, man. 
They don't all have to be Vi. <laughs> He's going to give them out to his friends. I don't know. All right. Well, fine. Yeah, they could be Christmas. Here's your Christmas gift. <laughs> a subscription to Vibe. Dave, don't spoil it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I hope you enjoy that next year. Thank you. I would love a subscription to Vibe. Oh, four more. Thank you. So they all are pretty sure they're going to federal pound me in the ass prison. Mm-hmm. Had you heard that turn of phrase before? I mean... Or similar. Yeah. That, that I think, sort of entered the vernacular oh, really? at about this time. Yeah. I see. I, I started hearing it more. But uh, Peter, though, decides to do the right thing and take responsibility for what he's done. So he apologizes to Joanna, says goodbye, and then returns the money and leaves a note under Lundberg's desk. Yeah, well, I think he's worried also. He, like, actually has conscience about what's going to happen to his friends. I yeah, think oh, that's yeah. the real, like, motivation. Well, you know, you see in the dream sequence that the thing that bothers him the most is that Samir said to him, you are a bad person. Mm-hmm. But um, before they can all get caught, who discovers everything? Milton gets there first. Milton saves the day, yes. Yeah. Just trying to get his stapler back. Just trying to get that sweet-ass red swing line back. He goes into Lundberg's office, finds the money, finds the note, and he burns that fucking building down. Ugh. I mean, in a way, like, this movie is about catharsis. Like, it's a revenge fantasy. It's just um, the person who really had it the worst was the one who got the revenge. It's true. And, I mean, it is a glorious, wonderful moment seeing that building burned. Yeah, down. I wrote down Stephen Root got his revenge because, oh. He and he got hard- it for all of us. He'd had a hard time throughout the whole film. Like, we were where- there with him feeling like every time they, like, moved his desk and, like were yeah, mean to him they move into the basement and tell him to deal with the roaches and they're not even paying him Ugh! but uh he's also kind of weird he is weird and annoying yes yeah and he won't turn his radio down for peter no you know so not the best dude but he doesn't deserve what he had to put up with. no for sure um the other thing though is that uh would burning the building down actually be enough to save them? Because a lot of what they did was a kind of a digital crime. But they wouldn't have any proof about like where the virus went in because it's like it was done by floppy disk. Uh, I guess there could well, but be there, there could be evidence about who opened the account and like who checked. You know, like he checked the balance at that ATM. I guess my. Um, take on that last scene was like they destroyed the company like right. maybe yes there were records that survived on the pre-internet yeah um, but i think the idea is like they just destroyed the whole company yeah i mean look it's good enough for like film logic that like that they got a- they got away well i mean um michael and samir ask peter are we good and he's like Yes. Yeah. So with that confidence, I felt fine that that plot point was wrapped up. Uh, totally, totally. I just, <laughs> you know, that part of me that's sort of like... I thought about that too. Gaming I, it I out. guess I thought that like they weren't going to bother to invest investigate because there was no more whatever that company was called after the end. <laughs> yeah. Inatech. 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 God. Um, I think that's... You work for Inatech, right? I mean, I know I've worked for them in the past. Hasn't everybody worked for Inatech? Indeed. I think they're owned by Disney now. Oh, I mean... It's just one big happy. It has to be happy. Uh, Happy. Um, Smiles, everybody. So, yeah. So we get to the end of the movie 
Uh, Michael and Samir are working at uh, Intertrode. Intertrode. Another company. It's exactly the same. But it's a job. That's true. And that's the important thing is that, you know, they might not be thrilled, but it's a job. Well, like at one point um, in earlier in the movie, like uh, Peter's like, oh, my God, do you think we could still be doing this when we're 50? Like as if that's the worst thing ever. And Samir's like, yes, job security. Well, and then exactly. you and I looked at each other and we're like, job yeah. security's not the worst. I mean, that's, again, like your perspective on... You know, capitalism and all that kind of stuff changes based on what you've been through and trying to survive in life. Yeah, and also not to, you know, be too much of a bummer, but like the realities of the different world that we live in between 1999 and 2020, where it's like we live in a somewhat more insecure economic environment now, where just the thought of like having that kind of job security where like I know I will be gainfully employed securely for that amount of time would be wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, yep. I, I, I think, agree uh, with Samir on this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's got a really good the, point. The Office won. Yeah. In the long game. Yeah, they always do. Yeah. Until the revolution, that is. Burn it all down. <laughs> Burn it all down. Yeah, I mean, in a way, this movie has kind of the message is not complicated. It's but it's it's a age-old like well-worn yeah well but also i mean we get to peter's end which is that he has found a job where he is also pretty much happy going to work at the end of the movie he is now working with lawrence as a construction worker right uh and you know he realized that what he wanted was very simple he wanted a job where he could just show up and work outside and use his body and like feel like he was you know doing something right that like was real it's a good like class message from mike judge he's he's like you know oftentimes there's this like hierarchy of like blue collar that kind of work construction worker versus a white collar office job and like if we've learned anything from the movie the white collar job really sucks so like being a construction worker is completely fine. Well, you know, what he he liked the fresh air, he liked the exercise, working with his body, you know, and being with people who are not going to say sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays. Right. You know, so that was enough to make him happy in the end. Right. And I mean, Lawrence still doesn't like his job necessarily. He like whines about like getting up at 6 a.m. and like all that kind of stuff. But so it's kind of like one job is like another job, but this one is going to suit Peter better. Sure. And also, I mean, you know, I don't, Again, the movie takes place in every town USA, so it's unclear where exactly they might be in the country, but depending on where he is, he might feel differently about that job in December when he has to be there at five in the morning and it's snowing and 10 degrees out. Right. Well, it does say it kind of shows at the end that like like Peter is still in the honeymoon period of construction. You know, we all know that period because he's kind of like this job's not so bad. And Lawrence is like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But if he's, you know, put it's. Basically, any job you're in, there's going to be days that suck. Right. Right. So, you know, but at least at the moment where we leave him at the end, it seems like he's happy. Right. And that's good. And he's with Joanna still. Right. I mean, it is um, ostensibly a happy ending. It's not like, like, that's what I kind of felt like was going to happen. Like, he made his peace with life. Right. And also that there's more to it than his job because he has... Joanna. True. He has Jennifer Aniston, yeah. and like, who wouldn't like love that? Ends? Who couldn't find happiness in life knowing that you are in a relationship with one of the most gorgeous women alive? Yes, indeed. Uh, and speaking though of happy endings that are possibly maybe just a little bit more complicated than that, we have Milton. 
Oh, right. Who got yeah. away at the end with a ton of money and is shown to be on a beach in the Caribbean somewhere. Alone. Drinking. Still complaining. Yes, that's the thing. He's got all this money. He's got his pina colada. He's on a beach. But the thing is, he wanted a Mai Tai. And they, they brought him a pina colada. And it had salt or what? It, yeah. And, or there's salt on the margarita and he wanted to say, and still no one's listening to him. Yeah. And it's... He's evolving. because I'm, I'm afraid what Milton's going to do next. Honestly, because last time he just burned the building down. This time he's talking about putting strychnine in the water? Yikes. Holy shit. Don't make an enemy of Milton. That's the lesson I learned. Yeah. And that's the lesson of Office Space. Indeed. The end. The end. So yeah, that was Office Space. Seemed like you enjoyed it. Uh, I definitely laughed consistently through the whole thing, which is... A plus of any comedy. Yeah, I would say that is a, a good side for a comedy. Uh, so in terms of how this movie did, uh, this movie had a budget of $10 million. Okay. That's, and that's pretty decent for the time, I think. Yeah, I guess. I actually think that uh, they made this movie on the cheap. Okay. I mean, Jennifer Aniston can't have been cheap. Oh, that's true. Because she was doing Friends. Yeah, that's a good point. But then again, she's probably the biggest star, right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, and nothing else would have been that expensive about yeah. this movie. They didn't yeah. have any, like, locations or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, but uh, its box office was only $12.2 million. So, Oh, it wasn't a hit, which is, that's interesting. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Not initially a big box office success. And, in fact, not with audiences either. So, coming out, uh, audiences gave it uh, cinema, cinema score, polls audiences coming out yeah. of seeing it. At, at the movies and general audiences gave this a c plus huh on the a to f scale interesting yeah didn't respond to it but it developed a huge cult following over time right so and i think well i think fairly quickly because i think i remember like like young people people my age liking it around that time yeah exactly so what happened was it wound up doing huge business on home video and DVD yeah. uh, sales and rentals right. to the point where it wound up making a very tidy profit just from that source of revenue, which is actually kind of weird and rare for a movie to like make a profit from that end hmm. as opposed to the theatrical release end. And then also it was on TV all the time sure it does seem like a perfect tv movie right it's not very long not a lot of swearing yeah you know there's like really no violence yeah is it right i mean there's um they say fuck in the movie so was it rated you could cut that pretty easily yeah so i mean but was it was it rated r um they could have made it rated pg in theory it is rated r i mean yeah there was like mild swearing yeah but that's they could get rid of that really easily. i know so. Yeah, surprising kind of that they didn't go for that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the fact that it was on TV so much made it a, like a huge cult hit. Hmm. And, you know, it got really popular yeah. over time. It definitely had like a cultural moment. Right. That's what I'm that's what I think I was responding to when I wanted to do this movie. Like I definitely was of age in that cultural moment. And I feel like over time, this movie's influence um, maybe it had a lot of influence on stuff that was came after it, but I don't think it's still a movie that people talk about. I feel like people still talk about this movie. Okay. I mean, it's a touchstone for a lot of people our age. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe it is. I, that's what I was kind of curious to explore by like watching it and discussing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, so did anything about this movie surprise you or anything? No, I mean, I think it kind of fulfilled my expectations in that I thought that it's kind of like not a not talked about that much anymore because it's like a little bit slight and it's not necessarily a slam on the movie. Um, I think that it's very funny consistently, but it's not like a big movie. And like maybe maybe yeah, it is, maybe it is influential, but I you know, I it's kind of what I expected in the sense of mm. it's a little movie about some people who work in an office. Yeah, there were no post-it note jokes though. No, no. One of <laughs> another one of my uh uh, predictions that didn't work out but there was a stapler yes so office supplies did feature yes. so you did you did get that right yeah was there anything in particular that you didn't like about the movie or anything that you want to highlight that you did particularly like about the movie i thought the movie had some real like subtlety in its construction which is hard because i think you could do a kind of like a universal comedy it would be too heavy-handed like we were talking i it was advertising on the the streaming service, the movie Waiting, which is about the service industry. And a lot of people like that movie, but I think that's broader and it's more heavy handed in its commentary on what that working like that is like. And I think this movie is deft, which is a Mike Judge feature. So I liked that. I did think that kind of once they got into the whole plot about the money stealing, it got a little, not sloppy, but it, I think the second half was a little bit less tidy than the setup um i agree yeah i think it had a stronger first half than a second half and i thought the whole relationship aspect of like how he changed his life was a little weak well you know what it is is that the second half is really less focused on all of those little observations about office life right which is the strongest part of the movie right sometimes you don't need to introduce stakes, but you do if it's a movie. Yeah. Like there was a movie I really liked. It has to be a movie. Right. There was a movie I really liked a couple in like maybe last year or two years ago called Support the Girls, which was a workplace comedy that takes place in a Hooters type restaurant. Okay. Starring all like the manager and all the um, the waitresses in that restaurant. And I've shown it to a couple people who've all really liked it, but they're like, but nothing is happening. I mean, there is actual drama that happens in the movie, but it's not your traditional stakes where you have like a climax and then, you know, resolution and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So I felt, you know, that is also of its time when you have to introduce like um, things that happen in a movie, but like maybe a little, I like the meandering part of it the best. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a pretty common reaction is that the first half is stronger when it's just focused on like, the miseries of daily office drudgery. Right. And I think Mike Judge takes those ideas and he evolves them over his career. This is still pretty early in mm-hmm. his career, like the maybe the first half. He's now been working for 20, 20, more years. 20 30 years. Right. So in Enlightened, um, Laura Dern's character, like a lot of the things are commented on this, but like it's more about like take it to the revolution level. And Wait, we said we were going to look that up. Let's just confirm that that's actual Mike Judge. Oh, is that Mike White? Oh, am I mixing that up? Yeah, Enlightened is uh, Mike White. I'm sorry. Okay, I mixed that up. Well, anyway, that's another office comedy that, um, like, takes these ideas and, you know... Runs with them. Runs with them. Yeah. And, you know, Mike Judge has done similar observational things in yeah. other, other settings. You know, like, King of the Hill is observational much in the same way, just, you know, with different characters and different focuses, you mm-hmm. know, or... You know, idiocracy. It's all 
all the same kind of thing, just right. with a different focus. So, yeah, all part and parcel of the whole Mike Judge oeuvre. Well, Faith, that brings us to the last question of this podcast, which is, do you feel that this movie was better late or never? Meaning that if it was better late, it was a essential film, somehow a movie that you needed to see in order to be a complete, well-rounded movie watcher, viewer, fan, person. Whereas a never is more like if you went your whole life without seeing this movie, that would just be a-okay. Well, Dave, I'm keeping in mind the brief that you just articulated. And I would like to say, I was thinking about this like during the film and I was kind of being like, you know, this movie might be too slight. And then during this conversation, I really enjoyed going all over all the points and talking about how influential it's been, how well observed it is about things that I personally find very funny in my own life about office culture. But thinking about what we talked about earlier, the movies that were really influential in the 90s, the comedies, your big Lebowski's, your Clueless, your election. I thought of another one that came out in 99, being John Malkovich. Sure. Like, those are movies that I feel like changed me. And it might have been that I saw them at the time. And as a result, they kind of became ingrained um, in what I thought cinema was and how it formed me, because that was a formative experience when I started to watch movies and enjoy them and think about them. So maybe if I had seen this film at that time, it would have been in that category for me. But seeing it now, I'm not sure that it has changed me. It could be that the influence of this movie has gone on to affect other office-related properties since then. You know, and as they've stolen the thunder in terms of what I relate to. So I'm going to have to shock you and say this is a never for me. You know, um, I love this movie, but I'm not shocked by that. I'm just, I think it is, has a well-placed um, position in people's hearts and in the tradition, the, the canon of 90s comedies, but I just don't think it's an all-time great comedy. I don't yeah. think it's a classic. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't have its place and shouldn't be watched. I do think it should be watched and you could enjoy it if it's on streaming, like absolutely watch it. I just don't know if it's essential viewing for everyone in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's well put. Yeah. I, I love this movie. I recommend it. I think everyone should see it. And I think anyone and everyone can enjoy it. Even if you don't work at an office, it's just flat out funny. But uh, based on your definitions of yeah. better later, never, it's a never. But I still for sure recommend it. And I laughed more than I do in most comedies. Right. But you don't have to have seen this movie. You don't no. have to see this film. I mean, I can go back and tell whatever 13-year-old Faith who was embarrassed that everyone was quoting it, that that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay, little Faith. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Faith, this was a great movie watch and a great convo. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today. Yeah, and you know we couldn't end without going out on the theme song for this movie. Yes, indeed, Faith. Would you like to sing us out with I the would Office love Space to. theme song? Office Space, Office Space, Office Space.